0: Let's go to the Lord here in prayer as we get into the Word. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity to worship, gather together, together in in your name, and uh, thank you, God, too, just for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, for us, uh, that we might have a way uh, to be forgiven, uh, the way, the truth, and the life. as Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through him, and so thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy and allowing us to uh, put our faith in him for the forgiveness of sins and covering all of our sin, past, pre- and f- past present, and future, um, when we acknowledge our need for him and confess he is Lord. And so, Lord, we just, uh, are so thankful for that. And we also want to lift up, uh, Lord, the people in our church family who uh, need your healing touch. God, we just pray that, um, that you would, uh, your Holy Spirit would touch them, heal them of whatever they might be uh, physically struggling with. Um, Some, too, might just be battling things mentally. God, we pray that you would grant them the grace of just uh, uh, knowing how to address that and and just to be trusting in you, resting in you, uh, leaning into you in this time. And, God, I pray, too, that you would move in our hearts, Lord, if uh, there's something we need to do to help out folks that are hurting in our church family, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And Father, we just want to pray this morning that we wouldn't just be going through the motions here today, that, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would use your word and your spirit and also the fellowship of the saints here to, um, to spur us on, as it says, to, uh, to love and good deeds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So We've been uh, just embarking on a series uh, we're calling the Ten Words Uh, The Decalogue, as it's called, is the Ten Commandments, uh, back in Exodus chapter 20. And uh, what we want to do is, and we started just last week, we started going through each one of the the Ten Commandments to explore what is it that God was uh, not only prohibiting, in some cases, because a lot of times He says, you know, don't do this, but what's the flip side of that, is what would be the reasoning for that command? And, um, and we also talked about the very first week, and I think this is important, that, uh, you know, God hasn't jettisoned what we call the moral law, right, uh, just because we're um, on this side of the cross, okay? Uh, the Ten Commandments and what they stand for uh, really are kind of almost a further explanation of what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment, right? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself as yourself. And that was his summary of the law, but really the Ten Commandments are just a little expansion on that. So, um, but also, and I'll, I'll try to remind us of this every week. You know, following the Ten Commandments does not make you a Christian or trying to. Okay, um, it's important for us to realize when uh, God's people got these Ten Commandments. They got them after they were delivered after they were saved out of slavery. Okay? So it's after they are uh, delivered, and he gives them, this is how I want you to relate to me now that I've saved you. This is how I want you to relate to each other. And so this is how we need to see it as believers in Jesus Christ. We don't obey these commandments so that we can be saved or be made right with God. The only way you get right with God is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and accepting his sacrifice for you to forgive you. Um, what he did on the cross there. And so that's how you become a Christian. And then God says, now that I've saved you, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to relate to me. It's a very similar thing that was going on there uh, with Israel, but now having a New Testament, uh, in a sense, uh, application after Christ. So don't think that um, doing these things is going to make you right with God. This is how he wants to live Uh, how he wants us to live and and relate to him and relate to each other the other side of the cross that we've put our faith in him, all right? Um, One of the habits we have as a church is occasionally we stand for the reading of the word of God. So if you you are able to, uh, why don't you stand with me? Uh, If you're not able to, that's fine. You can just uh, read the scripture while you're sitting there. But I'd like for us to read it together aloud. Let's hear the word. Let's hear the reading of the word together. Let's read together. of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of God. Let us have a seat. So this week we're uh, focusing in on verses 5 and 6 or 4 to 6 where it talks about not making any graven images, no idols, okay? And um, so what we want to talk about is it just kind of dive in a lot look about well, what is that and then why is that? Why would we have This commandment. Why would this be important? Okay, and so let's take a look at this. What about what is it about this second commandment? Well, um, I mean it's pretty simple, right? When you read it, he's telling us not to make images that represent God in any form, right? He's he's saying, listen, I don't want you to make uh, some kind of a physical representation of me, and also I think an application is that I don't want you to have these mental images that you try to conjure up of me either, okay. Uh, he's, you know, and it's okay to have these analogies like we get in the scriptures, like God is like a father and all that, and I think that's fine, but, you know, uh, if you need some kind of an image to connect you with God, God's saying that's a problem, okay? That's a problem, okay? Uh, and so he's prohibiting that, so we're not to worship images of any kind. Uh, I wanted to share uh, this quotation uh, for you uh, from uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung. It says, uh, the, the second commandment is God telling us not to make images to represent God in any form. We are not to worship images of any kind. The second commandment does not intend to outlaw art or painting or aesthetic considerations. The tabernacle displayed angels and palm trees. The ark uh, will have cherubim. And God himself gave the spirit to Bazaliel and Oholiab that they might be skilled artists and craftsmen. So God's not against art, I guess that's the point. You know, you can go overboard here. But the, the key is, is we're, we're not to make any kind of an image that we're using to represent God. Say, like, this is our God, okay? Um, he's chosen not to, to do that. He wants us not to do that whatsoever, All right, Uh, he continues on here. Sorry, I forgot. He says something more. He says, God is not against beauty. What he prohibits is infusing any object with spiritual efficacy. And he goes on to explain what that means. As if man-made artifacts can bring us closer to God, represent God, or establish communion with God. I think that's really the essence of it. He's saying, listen, uh, if you rely on some object or painting or something For you to bring you closer to God, then this thing is starting to represent God for you, and this would be a violation, he's saying, of the second commandment. All right, so this is really kind of, uh, you think about it this way. The first commandment that we got, uh, he's saying is, worship me alone. And the second commandment, he's saying, worship me this way. Okay, that's how they really relate. Um, And some faith traditions actually put these two together as one commandment, okay, because they are related. Right? But just think about it this way. The first commandment is to, he's got to say, worship me alone, right? It's not God and somebody else. You don't try to incorporate a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of this. No, he says, me alone, the one true God, uh, and so on. So he wants us, to, he, in this commandment, he's really telling us how he wants us to worship him. Okay, now, let's take a look at uh, uh, some of the the reasons. What what are some reasons that God would have us uh not try to make any kind of a representation of him. Well, the one is, and I'm going to spend a good bit of time on this. This is going to be like we're sitting down with our theological uh, hats on for a second, okay? This is an important aspect, and you may not have thought much about this, but it is somewhat, it is definitely related to this commandment, you know, and this is, this is the truth here. What, so, why would God prohibit making these images that represent him? One is that God is spirit. And God is spirit, and to create images of him takes away from his true nature. Okay, so I don't know if you've thought about that, but God is spirit, right? He doesn't have a physical body, um, and, and that is true. And we can see this uh, in the scriptures. So here's some uh, passages in scripture. First 1 Timothy 1.17 uh, says, To the king of the ages, immortal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So that verse alone says God is invisible. He's spirit, right? And then we have here in John chapter 4 when Jesus talks to the woman at the well, right? And they start talking about worship and so on. And look what he says here starting in verse 19 of John, 4, John chapter 4. It says, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that, uh, perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship Father, the Father in spirit and in truth, uh, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You see that, that connection there. He says, you know, I'm looking for people here, to worship me in spirit and in truth. And I think that's a good a good coupling there, okay? We do worship God in spirit. It's not like a location, right? We don't have to be at a certain location, although we are commanded to gather together. I mean, that doesn't, like, jettison that idea, right, in other places in Scripture. But but the thing is is that he's saying, you know, you can worship me anywhere. You can be in your car, you know, you can be at home, you can be here, um, and it's not about location, but we also want to worship God in truth, Okay? And that relates also to this command. We need to know uh, how God has revealed himself, right? We, we want to worship God as he demands, not as we think we ought to, okay? And that's important. It goes on in verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I uh, who speak to you am he, and so there's the big reveal you know i'm the 'm the Messiah, the guy that 's talking to you right now and uh so but but the point there here I'm, I'm just drawing from is that again, God is spirit right doesn't really have a body, and so if we were to try to make some kind of an image, a representation of him um then we're we're totally misrepresented because he doesn't have a body right um, so um God doesn't have a body, he's spirit. But think about this. um, If he had a body, he couldn't be omnipresent. Okay, He couldn't be everywhere at all times if he had a body. Right? That's just just logical. So uh, we're glad that he's not. (laughs) We're glad that he is spirit. Now, um, uh, Colossians chapter 1 says in verse 15, speaking of Jesus, it says, he, Jesus, right, is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, so Jesus, uh, you know, is it says is the image of the invisible God. Now he's not saying that you know uh, God looks like this. He's saying God is like him, like in terms of his character, how he loves, right, and, and just and just how he is. You know, he's he's righteous, he's holy, uh, but he's loving also. And so um, Jesus gave us a, gave us a. a um, a living example of what God is like. Okay? It's not saying that, you know, you see a picture of Jesus, that's what God looks like. Okay? Um, now, so there's another uh, passage here that also, at the very beginning of Hebrews, says, uh, Hebrews 1.3, he is the, speaking of Jesus again, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Again there, I think that points to the fact that he's not talking about how Jesus looks, He's saying how Jesus is, right? That's what God is like. And it says, and he upholds the universe by the power of his word. And we're so thankful he's in control, right? Um, isn't that amazing, though? You think about uh, our Lord Jesus. He just holds it all together. Every atom in your body, right, it, it's held together because he's holding it together. If he didn't want it to exist, he could just do like that, and we'd be gone. Uh, that's the truth, and that's really what that's saying. Okay, now, but if you read your Bible a little bit, you find places where God kind of says, you know, it talks about his right arm and that his eyes are, are, are looking to and fro throughout the earth. And so we might be a little confused, like, well, does he have a body then? If he kind of describes himself this way, uh, these are good questions, okay? And so um, what I want to do now is, is we're, going to, we're going to throw out a big word I don't use every day, anthropomorphism say that five times fast you know, anthropomorphism and and uh, that actually comes from uh two parts of a word anthros means man right and morphe means form so the form of a man right and so um god will often refer to himself and to describe kind of what he's like by using this kind of uh word description right and I've got some examples here, right? It says, he sets his face against e- evil. And I've got the references. The Lord will make his face to shine upon you. Uh, he, stretched out his, he stretched out his hand. Other examples. God scattered enemies with his strong arm. He stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. He keeps his eye on the land. Then it says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. or the earth is his footstool. And so... Uh, what is this? And God is just kind of, he's not saying, no, I, I, he's not saying I have a body. It's like God's communicating to us in a way that we can try to understand something that's incommunicable, <laughs> right? You know, God's infinite. He's holy. He's totally other than us. But the, what he does is uh, when, he, when he wants to try to convey something to us that we would get, he would kind of describe him like as a father or have some certain attributes that we would get. Does that make sense? But it doesn't mean he actually has a body. All right, so uh, there you got your little theology lesson for the day, okay? Just anthropomorphism. When you see God describe himself, uh, you know, having like a body, then you know, okay, well, he's trying to convey to me what he's like here. But it doesn't mean he has a body, because we know clearly it's said that he's the invisible God, right? Okay, so that's one reason... Why it's important for us, you know, to uh, for us to see why he would command this? Because right? anything that you would try to make, and and think back to, uh, shortly after they're given the Ten Commandments, what happens? They totally blow the first and second commandment while Moses is back up on the mountaintop, right? They make that golden calf, right, and um, and so. One of the things, then you think about this, why a golden calf? Well, there's some debate on that. Uh, one is that some people think that, well, they're just trying to import some of what they learned in Egypt, worshiping uh, these animals. Or another take is, uh, and we don't know, okay, for sure, but I'm saying another take is that they thought, well, hey, a, a young bull exhibits strength, and our God is strong. He delivered us, right? And so that would be one spin on it is that they're thinking, hey, we need, some, you know, because they were getting worried, right, while Moses was up on the mountain. They're getting nervous. What's taken so long, right? Why isn't Moses down? Maybe God nuked him. You know, we're all, why did he take us out here, right? So Aaron, you know, you make something so that we can worship and represent the God that we can't see. And so, so, but the thing is that the minute you try to make something, that exhibits some aspect of God, you've taken away from him, right? In other words, even if they were, this is F, even if they were using some young bull to represent their strong God, well, it totally leaves out his mercy. I mean, what about a bull? Speaks mercy. Not much that I can think of, right? But so you just you're you're gonna leave something out. You're taking away from God anytime you try to represent him in some physical way, okay? I think this is important to see is one of the reasons here. Now, I wanted to read from you. There's a book, um, uh, it's, it's by H.B. Charles Jr. called On Worship. Just read for you just a short selection here with something he mentions about this, about the Western church, because it's so oftentimes we think that we don't have, you know, you look around, we don't have any images of God around here, okay? Okay. Um, but maybe we are guilty of idolatry sometimes. And so listen to what he has to say. He says, many Western contemporary Christians are ancient Hebrew idolaters in disguise. We make symbols for God. Then we make gods of our symbols. He says, we profess to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jesus and the church. Now listen, hear what he says. We actually worship the God of our cause. Pick some cause, a good cause. And then make that the focus. Make that God. Or he says, uh, he says, or, or uh, we worship the God of our understanding. You know, we'll say things like, well, I kind of like to think of God like this. I'm like, well, that's fine as long as it's in Scripture and God tells me that's what he's like. Because otherwise, you start thinking, I like to think of God like, and then fill in the blank, you made up God. That's, that's a God you made up. Okay, um, And we worship that. And then he says, We actually worship the God of uh, our experience or the God of our race or the God of our nation, the God of our comfort or the God of our success. And we make those central, right? Um, He goes on to say, he says, there are two primary ways finite man seeks to know the infinite God. By imagination, which we don't want to go there, (laughs) okay, uh, or revelation, and he's basically making the point that we need to worship the God God as He reveals Himself in Scripture, not as we imagine Him up here. That makes sense, because otherwise we're 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 conjuring up these mental images that may uh, that is not how He has told us how He is. And so, I think this is just a good case for us to remember that we need to be uh, students of the Word of God. Just a good reminder, because. We don't want to take our ideas about what God is like from the culture or from the newspaper or from a website. You want to go to what how he has revealed himself in the scriptures, okay? And we need to learn how to study that so that we get we un, uh, um so that we have a proper understanding of who he is, right? It's not how we feel he is, it's how we know he is as he has revealed himself in scripture. Okay? So it's it's critical critical for us to understand that. We've got to worship God on his terms. That's really uh, the aspect here of, of this first point. So the, the second point, though, another reason, in, in the text that we're looking at today, is why, why is God saying, don't make an image of me? Well, first, you know, again, he's spirit. We don't want to misrepresent him. But secondly, God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God. And this is uh, what he has told us in that passage we read in Exodus 20, verse 5 there, it says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. <laughs> I'm a jealous God is what he says. Now, um, you know, something uh, also to, to think about, right, is, and there's a, there's a quotation here I want to give to you about jealousy because a lot of times we think of jealousy as a negative thing. As a negative thing. Well, when it comes to God, it's not negative, okay? And that's what this quotation of Matthew Barrett says. He says, in Scripture, divine jealousy reflects God's love, but it is an an intolerant love, a love that will not permit his glory to be uh, muddied by his people's idolatry. And he says, at its root, idolatry not only inverts the image of God, but robs God of the glory that is his alone. And that is why Israel's journey began at Sinai with his command. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make to yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. But why? For the Lord your God, I the Lord, am a jealous God. And so um, the other thing, thing here in terms of this jealousy is God, you know, he's the, he's the only one alone that really deserves our worship for sure. But also he knows that he's the only one that can satisfy us. A relationship with God through Jesus Christ is the only way we're going to really be satisfied and experience the life that he promises to those who know him. And I wanted to just, uh, I don't have these verses up here, but let me just share with you a few scriptures that really encourage us that our satisfaction uh, in life can really only be found in a relationship with God. All right? Uh, so, it says in John chapter six thirty-five, Jesus said to them, "I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." I mean, that's a, those are wonderful promises, and this is speaking spiritually. You'll never you'll never thirst spiritually again. You'll never hunger thirst uh, hunger spiritually again. I will satisfy you, right? But what we start to get, um, but the problem is when we start to get off uh, and, and start chasing something else, thinking that that will satisfy something in our life that we, that we need. And God's saying, no, I'm the one ultimately. Okay, I'm the one ultimately. And, so, and then he says in Psalm 107, verse 9, it says, for he, meaning God, for he satisfies the longing soul. Think about that, you know. Are you here this morning longing for something? Are you longing or you feel like there's something missing, maybe it's God, <laughs> right? Maybe it's that you, you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, and that's why you're here, and he's like, hey, this is it, man. This is what you're longing for, okay? And I want to say this, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you if you put your faith in Jesus, your life is just going to go great. You'll have no problems, okay? Because that, that doesn't exist. That idea does not exist. Jesus said, In this world, you will have troubles. You, have, tribulation, you have trials. You have difficulties. But when you've got the Lord with you and He's helping you walk through those difficulties, you will be satisfied. Right? He, he is what we all long for, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. So I just want to encourage you this morning. You come this morning longing for something, the Lord is it. He's the one that can meet your every need okay, and satisfy uh, whatever it is you need. He goes on to say in Psalm 22, verse 26, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him, meaning those who seek God, shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And then Psalm 1611, in your, in your presence. So in the presence of God, it says, there is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's speaking of a relationship with God. Right, You want to experience uh, it's like it says, there pleasures forevermore, fullness of joy, even in the middle of grief and in the middle of difficulty, knowing God through Jesus is the only way that's going to happen. Okay? Not some self-help book, right? Not some guru, okay, just Jesus, knowing Jesus, okay. And um, and I just think this is this is, is linked to this second command, is that, you know, he's saying, I want you to not try to make some kind of an image here because I don't want you to take away from me, and and, and that thing starts to replace me, right? That thing starts to replace me, even if in the beginning you feel that it helps you connect with God. Now, lastly, uh, and it has. This is mentioned explicitly in the passage. Is uh, another reason why God would say this is. He says uh, our incorrect worship of Him can negatively impact future generations. I don't know if you caught that in uh, those few verses in Exodus 20. So just think about this. Uh, and this 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 should speak to all of us who are parents. Um, this should speak to us. Uh, uh, as a church, like it's important to to make sure we get it right, like meaning that we we convey an accurate understanding of who God is, okay, as laid out in the scriptures. In verses five and six back there in Exodus twenty, here's what we here's what we read: You, know, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Listen to what it says: Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Okay, now I think it's important here to realize that, the, the, in a sense, the, the, gener- the people he's talking to, the parents he's talking to, hate him. Okay, they're, they, they, they have, they're, they're not righteous people. Then it says, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And some people, when they read that verse 5, I'll back up here, think that, oh, oh that means that you know, God's going to punish kids for their parents' sins. No, that's not what he's saying. Okay? Think about this. You know, um, if, you, if you grow up in a family that uh, doesn't know God, right, um, and, and they're just living their lives like there's no God, uh, or or maybe they grew you grew up in a cult, okay, and you're it's some false god, false idea of God. Well, it would be natural for most of the children growing up in this environment, environment to take on those false beliefs, right? False belief that there's not a God, or false belief that you know I can be a God, or whatever that whatever the cult may say, right? Um, and I'm using some extreme examples here, but but just to make the point. Is that, but it's still up, you know, it doesn't mean that those children are destined uh, to be judged by God. They're going to have their own individual uh, choices that they can make. God can show mercy on them, they can come to an understanding of who Jesus is, right? And we could probably start parading people up here in front of the microphone and telling your stories about how you came to know the Lord and how you were far from Him or whatever, Uh, and your parents, you know, were this or that and, and nowhere close to God. Or maybe they were, right? Um, and so so I think it's important for us to realize that he's not punishing children for their parents' sins, but certainly what we do need to see, it's important that we give our kids a right understanding of who God is, right? So that they have the best chance they have, they can, to make a decision for Christ. But it's still their decision. You can You can tell all the truth and get it right, but it's still up to them. Okay, still up to them to receive it, right? Uh, And that's the hard thing as a parent, is it not? If you have parents that are uh, launched out into the world, is you haven't any control you thought you had, it's totally gone, right? And any control you thought you had wasn't really there. It's my my little two cents. But what that means though is we need to do we need to work hard at giving our kids. Uh, whether they're your own kids or whether the kids that are entrusted to our church, a right understanding of who God is, right? Because maybe, maybe maybe, we'd be the the ones who have stopped the cycle in their family, right, of not following God. Um, so um, growing in your knowledge and understanding of God, you know, wait, none of us arrives there, right? Um, I don't care how long you've been following the Lord, Right, we always need to be pursuing, growing in our knowledge and understanding of who God is, right? and how He wants us to live, and what He's like. Right, so so whether you're just checking out Jesus right now, or whether you're a veteran in the faith, right, we always need to press into knowing God more, don't we? We do. And so, where does that going to come from? Well, I'm right, really, back to the Bible. <laughs> okay, sounds like it's really like a one-point message. Right, know your Bible. Know what it says about God. Don't rely on what other people are telling you. Always go back to the source. Right, because you got to know, and you got to know how to. You got to know how to read this. You got to know how to understand it. Right, and and so, uh, and again, this is it's such a it's such a. Um, it's I, I feel like when my kids were living in my house, it was a heavy weight. Like you really like. Um, no, there's no perfect parents. Right, uh, never existed. Right. Um, but but you just want to try to do it the best you can, the best you know in terms of you know reading Bible stories to your kids, telling them what Jesus is like, telling, you know praying together, getting them to see that it's it's a relationship, it's not just a Sunday thing, right? Um, or you know if you don't have kids, you know uh, you can be their uncle in this church or their aunt in this church, right? Can't you? Can't you influence kids in the church? Uh, Because I'll bet you, you know, as a parent, I was glad for any other uh, adult follower of Jesus to pour into my kid, right? Because, you know, there is this times, you know, and I did it with my parents, and my dad's sitting right over here, okay? He'll tell you first, I dialed him out, you know? He was probably telling me truth, telling me good wisdom, but I'd be like, nope, you're my dad, man. You don't know nothing, you know? And then... Then, you know, usually somewhere in your 20s or 30s, you realize my dad knew everything. Or, or my mom, or whatever. You know, it's just because, you know, your kids think you're stupid for a while. But then at some point, by the grace of God, they realize you're not so stupid. I mean, there might be a little stupid in there, but no. no you know, and um, but but anyway, it's you know, parenting is hard, it really is. And and it, we any of it has to be done by the grace of God, okay. And um, we, God knows we're imperfect people, right? And, he, and but, but let me just say this. If you're a parent, God gave you those kids, and he knew that you were the one for them. That encourages me. That encourages me to know that God gave me these kids because he knew I was the one to help them, right? And through my mistakes, through my foils and... Overemphasizing certain things, maybe not other things, or whatever. Even through all of that, you know, God is sovereign. I th- I praise God for His sovereignty that <laughs> that He even works through all our mistakes. Okay, um. So, you know, again, just seeing this in this passage here, it really is just something to say. You know, hey, and some of you are new parents. Some of you are going to be parents, right? And it's thinking about, hey, you know, how am I going to do this parenting thing? You know, how am I going to um. How am I going to get, you know, you know, if you the earliest of ages, give them pictures of God, how, you know, well, there it sounds like I'm idolatrous. Give them, you know, <laughs> biblical, biblical uh, understanding of what he's like, right? Yeah. Read the stories, right? Uh, age-appropriate ones and, and all that. We, you know, it's just, and of course, um, but we need to really pray for this, right, as parents and as a church, Right. If You don't have any kids, man, you need to pray for your the parents around here, right? You take that phone list and the ones that have kids' names on them you better you pray for them and you pray for those kids right that that they would have a proper understanding of what God's like, and the seed that's been sown in their hearts would take hold okay would take hold so so yeah, it's uh when you when you read that commandment and you see one of those reasons just being the fact that you know. And Whether you're talking about children or not, what about spiritual children? You know, if we start going off on some tangent that's not biblical here, a wrong understanding of God, we are polluting the people that are around here and could cause them to go off the rails spiritually too, right? So It's really important, right, that we we know the Scripture and what it teaches us about God. All right, well, listen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer here. Lord, we're just thankful. Thankful that we don't have to worry, and excuse me, and wonder what you're like. You have given us a revelation in the scriptures, and you've given us the incarnation of Jesus, and so we, we, we don't have to try to think up what you're like. And God help us to guard against that. Help us to guard against. You know, I like to think of God of like, and then it's. Has nothing to do with how you've revealed yourself in Scripture. And Father, help us to see that you're a jealous God, and even related back to the first commandment is that you alone um, are the only one who deserves that first place in our life, that center of our lives. So, Lord, we I just pray, God, show us if there is any wrong way of thinking about you that we might have, individually or as a church, any wrong way of, of expressing what you're like. Lord, help us to honor you by obeying this commandment and seeing that you alone, you alone, just as you have described yourself. And it's interesting to me, God, that you you revealed yourself verbally to your people there at Mount Sinai. Yes, and then we got we got Jesus here that we could see His character and what you're like there. Lord, help us to, again, hang on to the truth, to jettison anything that's not of You. Lord, help our parents, God. Help our parents who are uh, wanting to do Your will and raising their children and wanting to figure out how You've wired them and so that they can kind of work with that. And um, we just pray that the, the children... The, the young ones that are here would have a proper understanding of who you are and help us to faithfully teach them, whether it's in the children's ministry or whether it's here from up front in the sanctuary or whether it's at home. Uh, Lord, help the parents. Lord, give them the grace they need. Give them the strength they need. It's such an endurance, an endurance uh, race raising children. We pray that you would help them and help us to be those spiritual aunts and uncles to pour into them and to uh, minister to them as well. Lord, and um, we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.